Hey folks, welcome to Bad GM's Campaign Build-Along. I'm the Bad GM, Wayne Davis, and as you know, this is the show where we build an entire campaign for you from scratch, and it's so ready to go that you can start playing as soon as... Well, you know, I'd prefer that you don't start until after you've listened to this entire show, but... Eh, you know, it's 2023, I'm not going to judge. I realize we're deep into Season 2 by this point, so you should already have your copy of the Fallout role-playing game rules, but if you're new to the show and don't already have them, check out your local game or bookstore, or if those aren't an option, you can buy directly from Modiphius Entertainment through their website, modiphius.net. And I need to note something. When you buy a hardcover copy of the book, they give you a code for a free download of the PDF. So for those who like their materials digital, I'd suggest you buy the physical copy anyway and get two books for the price of one. Now, our longtime listeners know the format for this show, but since we've picked up a number of new listeners over the past few weeks, I figured I should take a moment to lay it out for you. First, we recap what we built last week. Then we build a new scenario. And every other week, I provide you with the details of what my group did when we played the materials we've written. So not only do we build the campaign, I give you a playtest report on how it's gone. And I can tell you, it ain't good for my group. They usually change everything we do. You'll find out later. That also reminds me of something I haven't mentioned in a while. If you've been running the campaign we've been building, hit me up on the socials or email and let me know how it's been going. If you're cool with it, I'll share your reports on the show, and I'm going to make sure you get your credits. I have heard from several of our listeners that they don't run the campaign, but do enjoy the show because they like the story we're telling. Hey, again, I'm not judging. I'm just happy you're listening. One more point before I move on with the build. I've spoken with a number of listeners who have told me that while they like the material, they're not sold on the Fallout game. I'll get into my issues with it at the end of the season when I do the build post-mortem show, but what I'll say is this. What we've built for this season can be lifted out of the Fallout system and dropped into the post-apocalyptic system of your choice. You'll have to make some modifications, of course, but at least you won't have to create an entire campaign from whole cloth. All right, so with all of that out of the way, let's get into the build. Well, let's get into the recap from last week's build. Last week, our group had completed their sweep of the art museum and had come up empty. One way or the other, they figured out that Jessica Denman was using the Lemp Brewery to build whatever nefarious device she was working on, but they also knew that they were on the clock. So they managed to contact the Pacificus and get use of a vertebrate to get there quickly. They got on site and managed, again, one way or the other, to neutralize the vertebrate on the ground at that location so they could land. Once they'd done that, they encountered Jessica Denman and her elite guards moving an exceptionally large missile towards the vertebrate, presumably to take to the Pugnus and the other Brotherhood of Steel group. The group engaged, and Denman might have survived it. In that case, the group took her into custody and got the missile. There's also the possibility that the group managed to blow up the entire building, in which case all they found was a few pieces of a missile casing and some body parts. Safe to assume they got their woman, which is why last week's episode had the title it did. If the group got their hands on the missile, they called in a second vertebrate to transport it, and both were on their way back to the Pacificus when we ended the build. So we'll pick up this week's build with the group on board their vertebrate and heading for the ship. This would be a good spot to have the players engage in some conversation and role-playing, so if they decide to do so, I'd let it go for as long as it seems to be constructive. Don't worry so much about time and distance here, even though it'll only take about five minutes or so of real time to get there. If the role-play is good, we want to encourage that. 
Plus, it'll give you an idea of what their thoughts are about what's going on and will allow you to either adjust what we write moving forward or take that into account if you so choose. It even gives you the opportunity to plant some red herrings that's going to play into their thoughts, especially if they're contrary to what we're ultimately creating. Once the group connects with the Pacificus, if you don't know why that's the term I used, check out the Fallout video game or check out some of the videos of it on YouTube, you'll get an idea. They are immediately escorted to the command deck to meet with Elder Sanvar. She's standing in front of the large windows in this area and has several officers around her, providing her with almost constant updates. When she sees the group approach, she dismisses the officers and addresses the group. Your ability to locate Jessica Denman and neutralize her threat was impressive. Thanks to you, a dangerous threat to us has been taken off the board. She smiles for a brief moment, then turns serious again. But we still have the issue of those Garson tactical agents running around out there. When they're combined with the ground forces from the Pugnus, we're outnumbered by at least two to one. We need to locate their facility and neutralize it. That should at the very least neuter their ability to continue any sort of coordinated offensive against us. And if we're lucky, maybe some data can be recovered that points us to how all of this is supposed to link together and perhaps what their end game will be. She pauses for a moment for the group to take it all in, then she continues. So if you're up for another mission, I would request that you investigate a tip we've received concerning a potential base of operations for the Garson team. If the group has Denman in custody, Sandvar will suggest they speak with her, if she'll talk, and find out what she knows. If she's already dead, the conversation's pretty much over, and the group will be given time to clean up, gear up, and get power armor repaired and fresh power cores inserted. Once that happens, they'll load onto the vertebrate and head to the location, which we'll get to momentarily. First, let's walk through the scenario if the group managed to bring Jessica Denman in alive. She's in a holding cell with three guards keeping a close eye on her. Since the elder would have sent word down to them, the group's allowed to enter the room the cell is in and speak with her. However, they are instructed to not let her out of the cell for any reason. They're also instructed to leave their weapons outside the room. Now, I know my group, and this would be a point at which one or two of them would stay outside the room and keep an eye on the weapons, because while they're doing a job for the Brotherhood, they don't necessarily trust them. Entering the room, Denman's sitting on the metal bed that's bolted to the bulkhead. She's been patched up from any damage she took during the gun battle, but otherwise is dressed the same way she was. She's staring straight ahead as the group enters and will not make eye contact with them. And she's not going to engage in conversation with them either, nor is she going to look them in the eye. She'll keep staring straight ahead throughout this scene. And if a group member steps into her line of sight, which I can imagine someone trying as a method to get her to look at them, she'll make sure she's staring just past them so that she doesn't lock onto their eyes. Now, they can get her to talk, but this is going to be one of those things where we're not going to let them just roll dice and then give them information. Whomever is trying to get her to talk needs to tell you exactly what they're saying and the tone they're using. In other words, this is going to be as much a test of intelligence and tact as it is choosing a skill and rolling dice. What we're looking for here is someone to say something that shows a bit of sympathy and or empathy, but not so much that it's sugary sweet. It needs to be something that hints at being able to avoid eliminating anyone who's still alive that she's close to, as well as helping her cause with the Brotherhood of Steel. Now, what that sounds like is something I'm going to leave for you to decide since it's going to be pretty subjective. 
However, the attribute and skill you're looking for is charisma plus speech. The difficulty is going to be a five since she really doesn't want to talk. And the only way someone can assist is if they can give you something that fits into that category of what we're looking for. Again, this isn't just a choose the skill and roll the dice. And while I'd say burning action points and or luck points would certainly be a good idea, it's not mission critical that they get the information from her since they've got a basic location already. If they succeed, she'll give them the exact location they need to go to. It's the northeast corner of Del Mar and Old Bonham Road. However, they'll get the impression that she's not telling them everything, but they also get the impression that she's not going to tell them anything more. And I'll give you the inside baseball on this one. She's testing them. She wants to see if they'll actually do the things that they tell her they're going to do or whether they'll be the savages she thinks they are. So if they can pull this off and do what they told her they do, she might just share some more information with them. Then again, probably not, but they don't need to know any of this. And it's also probably the case that they'll figure she won't tell them anything regardless, and that'll probably change their reactions towards her moving forward. And that's why we're the GMs, folks. And while I'm thinking of it, if the group doesn't go see Denman, or if she's dead and they can't see her, the location they've got is Del Mar between Old Bonham Road and Center Drive. So close, but not exact. On the subject of getting patched up, getting power armor repaired, and gearing up, getting patched up and getting their own power armor repaired, that's not going to cost them anything. If they want more gear, at this point we can open up the entirety of the equipment lists to them, short power armor, but they're going to have to buy it. We'll do them a solid and only charge half the price in the book. Hey, in Fallout 4, they have to buy their gear on a Brotherhood airship at full price, so we really are doing them a solid here. And of course, the reason they can't buy power armor is that it's only available to Brotherhood members. Once they've gotten through the formalities, they can board the Vertibird and take off for their location. You can either use the two knights we used last week or come up with a couple more of your own doesn't really play into the story so it's not a huge deal one way or the other they get to their location in about five minutes and if they don't already have a communication device they're given one so they can call the bird back in to get them since it's not going to stay on the ground exposed while they search things out i'm going to start with this as if the group didn't have a specific location so if your group does just skip ahead to that point and keep moving once the vertebrate takes off and gets clear the group gets that feeling that something's about to go down Describe it however you'd like, but the overwhelming feeling is that things are too quiet. They don't hear gunfire or talking or dogs and nothing. That alone should be enough to freak them out. The fact that they're looking for a facility that's some sort of base for Garson Tactical only adds to the nerves they're going to have at this point. Now, of course, we can't just drop the group into a situation like this and not have them face an encounter of some kind. I mean, if we did something like that, they'd think we'd gone soft, right? <laughs> We'll use glowing ones, stats on page 356. I'd normally keep the number low, but since the group at this point will probably all be in power armor and possibly have some heavy weaponry, let's go for broke here and use one for each group member. That being said, if your group's broke is all get out, drop the number accordingly, and I say accordingly because I want you to do it based on your gut feeling on this. Again, this is where you start taking over more of the build because you know what's going to work for your group. There's a challenge at this point and you know what's going to kill them. For the record, the idea is to keep them alive. <laughs> Once they've dealt with that, they'll be going door to door until they find the location. 
I'm going to leave this part of things for you to fill in. Put buildings and rubble in as you'd like. And if you feel like the group's encounter with the glowing ones went too easily, feel free to drop in another encounter. I wouldn't go with more than one unless they've got a lot of ammo and supplies, since we want to make sure they're going to be okay once they enter the facility. And this is the point to bring your group in if they got the location from Jessica Denman. The building on the northeast corner of this intersection has a front door that faces the corner of the block itself. Overall, it's a very nondescript building, and that makes it different from the other two locations they've dealt with regarding Garson Tactical in the past. The door is also unlocked, which will probably draw some glances between your players. I mean... This is supposed to be the base of operations for the elite of the elite of Garson Tactical, and not only is there zero security on the outside, <laughs> the door's unlocked. Now, I want to take a moment to step out of laying things out to make what we're getting ready to build here apparent. This building is set up to be a trap. We're going to be using tripwires, hanging grenade bundles, hinge traps with explosives. We're going to be throwing the book at them from a trap perspective. However, they will eventually find what they're looking for, and it's a basement door that's very well hidden, and then they'll be able to get what they came here for. I'm just clarifying what's on the way so that you can plan accordingly. Getting back to the build itself, they enter into the main room of this floor, and it's set up exactly the way the Garson Tactical Shop they visited all those episodes ago was set up. An L-shaped counter that starts on the wall to their right, turns to the right angle after 20 feet, and stops on the outer wall to their left. And much like that other counter, there's a five-foot section with no case under it, and the countertop is hinged to be lifted for people to come in and out of. The cases are empty, and based on the layers of ash and dust inside of them, they've been empty for quite some time. First trap is set on the flip counter, and they're going to have to look for it because it's not obvious. Since we've been making them get more specific about what they're looking for, make them tell you they're actually looking under the counter for a trap. If they don't, they won't find it, and they'll set it off when they flip the lid to go behind the counter. If, by chance, they find the trap, it's a double hinge trap, which means both set of hinges on this counter are trapped. And since the book's not real clear on how we deal with this, we've been sort of making it up as we go along. I think we'll go with intelligence plus science, and while I know it's maybe not the best combo to use, I think that works best for our purposes. Difficulty is three, because even though these are very hard to find, they're not that hard to disarm. They need to do this twice due to there being two traps, so keep that in mind. A failure on either one of these sets off the explosive, and if they didn't retrieve the one on the trap they disarmed, that explosive will go off as well. So what are we looking at for explosives? I think we should have a little fun with this. So the two explosives are bottle cap mines, and the stats for those are on the explosive chart on page 120. I do want to mention that after the explosion, you roll the damage dice again, and that total determines how many caps are left intact once the smoke clears. So we hurt our group and then we pay them for it. It almost sounds like fun. Once they're behind the counter, they've got two options. Go through a doorway on the same wall that the counter started on or go up the stairs they see that start against the opposite wall, then turn to complete the climb to the next floor. Needless to say, the doorway is where they'll find what they're looking for, but I'm going to build out the top floor as well in case they decide to clear what they can see before they go looking for a trapdoor of some kind. As they go to move through the doorway, they see a bundle of six grenades hanging from a wire about two feet inside the door. Two feet gives them just enough room to step to either side, and if they don't check before they move, they'll knock another bundle of six grenades from their wire. So, just so we're clear here, three bundles of six grenades hanging from wires, one dead ahead at two feet out, and one on either side of the doorway, positioned where someone trying to avoid the one in the middle would hit them. 
will be nice and make the grenades baseball grenades. And they're on the same chart we've referenced once already today. That's page 120. Now, if they do tell you they're checking before they move, they'll find the bundles and could conceivably disarm all three. This is a pretty rudimentary setup, so we'll use perception plus explosives, difficulty two for a disarm, since disarming in this case is basically cutting the wires and preventing the grenades from having their pins pulled. Oh, and they're going to have to do it three times. Missing even one will set off any bundles not already taken care of. Once they've dealt with that, they see the two desks in the room covered in old plaster, dirty coffee cups that have been there for a couple hundred years, and other assorted garbage. The filing cabinets are in various stages of disarray, and while there are hundreds of documents, none of them appear to be of any pertinence to why the group is here. Now, this is the room where the access to the lower level is at, but that access door is hidden. And I mean very well hidden. Much like we've been doing lately, the group will have to tell you where and how they're searching for anything. And more to the point, anything isn't acceptable in this case. They need to tell you what they're searching for, where they're searching for it, and how they're searching. Once somebody says something that resembles secret door on the floor, have them make a perception plus luck check difficulty five. They can get an assist if someone else said something along those same lines. Success means they find out how the floor was manipulated to cover the steel door in the floor. Basically, basically the floor was cut so as to not appear to have been cut. They cut it larger than it needed to be so that the seams of the wood would all look natural. Then they covered it with a rug and set one of the desks on it so nobody would notice. And yes, you're wondering that if it's set up like this, how did they get in or out? I think you know the answer. We'll come back to this momentarily, but let's build out the top floor just in case. There are two trip wires on the stairs going up, one on the first set and another on the second set after they make the turn. Again, the rules for traps don't exist in the game, so we're making this up on the fly. Perception plus luck, difficulty five. Unless they tell you they're looking for traps, then it's a three. The disarm is intelligence plus science, difficulty three. These are also bottle cap mines, so the same comments I made a few moments ago apply here. Once they're at the top of the stairs, they've got three rooms to check. The doors to each of them stand wide open, but they've each got a tripwire on them. We'll use the same mines and rolls that we just used, but we're changing the mine type to pulse mines. So I guess we're not using the exact same mines. Sorry, confused myself. There's nothing of value to the group in any of these rooms, though if you'd like to give them something for their efforts, feel free to do so. Okay, so let's get back downstairs to that steel access door. It's locked tighter than a tomb, so it'll take perception plus lock pick difficulty five to open it. Failure means they snap a pick off in the lock, but they can try again, though we'll swap out lock pick with luck, same difficulty. Once they get it open, they see a set of metal stairs headed down about 20 feet, and the access is about 10 feet wide. And we're gonna stop the build here for this week, and that's because I've got a lot of game recap to hit this week. As I usually do, however, I need to bring you up to speed on what my group did last time before we can tell you what they got into this time. When last we met, my group had made their way to the steel mill in Granite City, and they'd heard the sounds of battle as we'd ended the previous session. They decided that it would be in their best interest to allow the battle to solve itself, and when it was over, they entered the mill to see what they could see. They found crates with these symbols of every major company in the city, as well as some that weren't marked. They also found the hollow tape with Jessica Denman's voice on it, basically saying that one of the groups that had been fighting was a liability and needed to be cut out. Job finished, they returned to Mackenzie Cook's office in St. Louis and gave her the news. With that done, they returned to their base for some much-deserved 
rest. The next morning, they got a letter with strange handwriting on it requesting they meet at Lafayette Square at 6 p.m. My group, not being the most trusting on the planet, requested backup from Victor. He obliged, and the group got to the location early to scope it out. When the meeting time arrived, they got another letter from a messenger with the same handwriting as the first one, leading them to a mausoleum north of their position. They got there, got inside, found the secret entrance to the tunnels below, and made their way through. They worked through my painfully childish riddles and puzzles and got access to the storeroom where Paladin Zane and her Brotherhood of Steel team were being held. They released them, then made their way back out. Zane noted that she wanted to get her power armor back, so her team worked with my group to access the old post office and retrieve it. They also got a clue as to where they might find the communication gear Zane and her team had had when they crashed. They made their way to the dome to meet with the individual in question. He gave them the gear and gave them a line on the man he got it from, which led the group to a gentleman's establishment on the other side of downtown. They waited outside for their man to emerge, and when he did, they quickly subdued him and took him to Victor. With that job completed, the transmitter dish was then attached to the roof of the dome. Then the Brotherhood of Steel took quarters in said dome, and the group returned to their base. When they got there, they got another one of those notes with strange handwriting, and it suggested that they check out an abandoned toy factory north of downtown. They did, and they found a Brotherhood of Steel vertebrate. Before they could check the place out, Jim tried to hack into that vertebrate, and when he did, he activated the self-destruct. By accident. He didn't mean to do it. They got out of the building, and as they started heading south, they saw the smoke rising from Diamond Pass. When they got on site, Bruno told them about the Brotherhood of Steel members burning the bar and taking Victor, and the group headed off to find him. Through various sources, Bruno reported that the old Fox Theater would be a good place to start, so they headed that way. After checking out the external security, they were trying to decide what to do when Bruno suggested they speak with Mr. Lee at the old Symphony Hall. They did, and he offered to provide several of his super mutants to help them get in the doors of the theater. And that was where we wrapped that session. On a side note, Clayton missed that game, and when I did the recap before this game, he was a little upset with himself for missing it. But I do have to note that he stayed home with my daughter, who just had nasal surgery, and his son, so I can't fault him for missing. So, with the background out of the way, let's get into what the group did this week, and I need to mention up front that we remind us both Aniston and Gabe, and they are going to be pissed when they hear about what they missed. I just rhymed, and I didn't even mean to. We picked up right where we left off, and as the group was headed out the door for a frontal assault on the Fox Theater, the Ms. Handy robot that Mr. Lee has mentioned that her databanks showed an access tunnel to the theater with an opening a few blocks to the west of the theater itself. With that location in mind, the group coordinated with the super mutants for them to attack just as the group was working through the tunnel so as to draw out as many men as possible. They dealt with the security, then made their way to where Victor was being held. Much as we wrote it, Jessica Denman mentioned something about this whole thing now being personal, then had one of her men shoot Victor. As both Scott and Jim noted, if it hadn't been personal for them before, shooting their benefactor made it personal. They got their hands on Victor and got him to the tunnel. On the way out, Jim decided to fire a missile in the direction of Denman, which he'd been able to approximate thanks to his sensors. Needless to say, his role was so good, the missile hit Denman directly, and the amount of damage he did... Well, it killed her. Yeah, in one move, my group has altered the entire campaign, <laughs> and it just keeps getting better. Once the group was clear, Jim fired several more missiles at the theater, collapsing it entirely and ensuring Denman and as many of her people as possible were dead. 
The group took Victor to Mr. Lee's and he got his medical robots on it as soon as possible. Shortly after Victor was stabilized, he mentioned that the group needed to find Mackenzie Cook as the Brotherhood of Steel was going after her as well. The group headed to her office, and after a lot of searching, they found the scrap of paper leading them to the Universal Food Market, where we know she was hiding out. Now, the group was supposed to have a couple of encounters, but thanks to the number of men they took out in the theater, I pulled them from this session. They got to the market, spoke with Cook, and agreed to go with her to the Brotherhood of Steel base. That would be her Brotherhood of Steel base. And I had to make a little change here on the fly because I brought the pugness over downtown earlier than I was supposed to, and the trip to Alton would have taken too long. Plus, the group didn't seem to be interested in Cook's info dump, so we dropped that as well. The new location for the base was on the ruins of the old Garson Tactical Base at Jefferson Barracks. Cook made contact with the Pacificus and let them know she was inbound with the group, but the group just wanted a mission so they could help bring down the pugness group before they destroyed the city. Elder Sandvar suggested Forest Park, and while the group wasn't too keen on going in, they were smart enough to request a vertebrate to get them there quickly. Sandvar agreed and gave them the art museum as the place to search. Keeping that info in mind, the group decided to do an approach from the west so as not to draw too much attention. They also decided to use Jim as an aerial scout, and he not only noticed the external guards, but once he was able to get close enough, he realized that Zane wasn't there, as it was assumed at this point that Zane was in charge of whatever Denman had been working on. So with that part of the mission being a washout, they requested to be picked up. Cook got on the line at this point and noted that scans of the area showed a lot of unusual activity coming from the Lent Brewery, so the vertebrate took them there. They managed to stay just out of range of it, and they managed to use a couple of grenades from just the right height to take it out. Once on the ground, they used the miniguns on their vertebrate to take out Zane and her group and get possession of the missile. They radioed in for another vertebrate, then loaded up and headed back to the Pacificus. As they headed to join the Pacificus, which was now only a few miles south of their position, the group decided they knew how to take the Pugnus off the board. They convinced the pilots of the Vertebrate to get them just close enough for Jim to fly out and drop a mini-nuke on the airship. They did, he did, and what parts of it didn't blow up landed on Laclede's Landing, and that basically means their base of operations just went poof. See what I mean about these psychos changing the entire course of the campaign? Anyway, they headed back towards the Pacificus and docked. When they got on board, they had their first face-to-face with Elder Sandvar, who thanked them for their work to this point. She promoted Braden and Aniston's Brotherhood characters to Knight and gave them access to T-60P power armor. Clayton and Scott took the other suits, so at this point, everybody who'd said anything about wanting armor had it, and Scott didn't really want it, but he took it anyway. Oh, and Scott, Clayton, and Jim all passed on the chance to join the Brotherhood. With the formalities handled, the battle plan was to take out the rest of the Brotherhood. And with the Elder taken out when the Pugnus exploded and Zane solutioned at Lemp, the thought is that there are only two command officers left, and if they can be taken off the board, cleaning up the rest of them should be fairly easy. I also noted that the vertebrates from the Pacificus had taken advantage of the confusion caused when the Pugnus was dropped and managed to take out a lot of the enemy vertebrates, giving the Pacificus crew the advantage. And for the record, I was working on the fly on this from the moment the group killed Denman, so when I ran out of written material and they'd taken the two bad guys I was saving for the end, I really kind of had to improvise here. So, Cook lets them know about reports of a bunker in Old St. Charles and noted that a pugnus vertebrate had landed there. The hopes were that one of the two command officers would be there, so the group was tasked with checking it out. They suggested that the two pilots taking them there be accompanied by two more, 
as their goal was not only to take out everybody at the bunker, but also to steal the other bird. For the record, this bunker is the one I created for Victor's information source, but since my group didn't go to it, I repurposed it to use for this. They landed far enough away from the bunker so as to not draw a ton of attention, then made their way towards the bunker. The idea was that one pilot and one beginner pilot would go with the group, then circle around and get the bird they were stealing and be ready to fly, while the other pilot and her beginner would stay on the bird that brought them in and be ready to provide air support if needed. There were four Brotherhood of Steel soldiers guarding the entrance to the bunker, and they were in power armor. Needless to say, my group took them out pretty quickly, then made their way into the bunker. There were two officers in there, but not the ones they were looking for. These aren't the officers you're looking for. They got one of the men to give them access to the computer so they could download any data in it to use to figure out who's where at this point. Then they took the men prisoner. They returned to the Pacificus, and while Elder Sandvar ordered one of the men to be placed in a cell, when she asked Cook about the other, Cook informed her that he'd organized an attack on their organization in the past. At that point, the Pacificus's chief of security, who I described as a brick wall of a man, kicked the dude overboard. And that's where we ended the session. So my campaign has been drastically altered, and I'm going to have to work to get it to something resembling a satisfying conclusion. In fact, it might end well before we're done building. Maybe not, since we don't have another game for at least three weeks, but it's always possible. What that also means is that while we'll be building our campaign along the same path we have been, I'll be writing up some different stuff for my group due to the changes they've made. I'll try to keep you in the loop when I do that, but if I forget, the recaps will give you an idea of where we're going. And with that, we've come to the end of today's show. Next week, we get our group into the nest we've sent them to and hopefully finally close the book on Garson Tactical. In the meanwhile, check out Role-Playing History. This week, we're checking out the C series of modules for AD&D, and the C stands for competition, so I'm also going to explain what that means. Role-Playing History is available wherever you get your podcasts or on our website, badgeandproductions.net. All Fallout role-playing game materials utilized on this show are the trademarked and copyrighted properties of Modifius Entertainment through their license with Bethesda Games and are used on this show for entertainment purposes only. To check out all of the fine products produced by Modifius, check out your local game or bookshop or their website, modiphius.net. The music we use for this show comes from Pixabay.com. Check them out for all your license-free, royalty-free music needs. Bad GM's campaign build-along is a production of Bad GM Productions. It seems like we have accounts on every social media source out there, and we're adding more by the day. So if you want to know where you can follow us, check out the info box for this episode or the website, badgmproductions.net. Next week, we see what kind of issues our group's going to have as they try to end at Garson Tactical once and for all. Until then, I'm the bad GM, Wayne Davis. I'll see you at the game table.